Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Well, good morning again. <clears throat> it is hour two of Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. I am Carmen LaBerge. I know it's not necessarily morning where you are, but thank you so much for spending this time together with me. I got a text message last evening from somebody who had just just listened to um, yesterday's show, um, and they listened to it as a podcast on the Faith Radio app, and they were just grateful for the conversation. And so whenever you're listening, wherever you're listening and however you're listening, I count it a great privilege that we get to have this conversation. So thank you so very much. And thank you to each and every person who actually makes this ministry possible. So if you are um, a financial partner with Faith Radio, um, if you've participated in a fundraiser in the past, if you're an ongoing monthly uh, giver, thank you. Like, thank you for the privilege of this conversation every single day. New people are tuning in all the time. And so if you're new to this, this is listener-supported radio, um, and it is radio first um, before it becomes a podcast. And so however you're listening, um, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, We do have an upcoming spring fundraiser, and so loved for you to be praying with us in advance. God would be tilling hearts and minds right now and inviting more and more people into the um, financial support network of this ministry that we might not only continue to do what we do every day, which we're going to do because of very, very faithful support over the years, but we want to be able to say yes when God says, hey, here's a new new way of, of communicating the good news of the gospel over airwaves. Um, we want to be able to say yes every time God says, hey, come over here and do it this way with these people in this place via this media. <clears throat> so thank you in advance for helping us do that. Louisville, Kentucky, you've probably already um, heard this terrible news. Um, <clears throat> a young gunman who either had been or was still an employee of the bank um, opened fire yesterday He live-streamed his attack on Instagram. He killed five people, wounded nine others, including a rookie police officer who had just graduated from the police academy 10 days earlier. Um, You will hear the governor of Kentucky talk about his dear friend, Tom Elliott, 63 years old, a senior vice president of of the bank, also killed James Tutt, Joshua Barrick, Juliana Farmer, Deanna Eckert, and continuing in critical condition in the hospital today following surgery to um, hopefully hopefully um, correct the damage done when a bullet passed through his brain. Louisville Metro Police Officer Nicholas Wilt, 26 years old, struggling for his life today. Let's be lifting up um, these families, their friends, this community this place of work, this city. And yeah, let's talk about guns. Let's talk about guns. Um, Yes, 
people pull triggers, but guns are increasingly in in hands where they do not belong. There has been a 50% increase from 2019 to 2021, a 50% increase from 2019 to 2021 of gun deaths of children in America. More than 2,500, actually 2,590, 2,590 kids died by gunfire um, in, in the last year that we have numbers for, so 2021. Um, gun deaths among America's kids rose 50% in two years. And while the majority of adult gun deaths are by suicide, children and teens tend to kill each other. And who's, who's buying those guns? And who's controlling access to those guns? And that's probably a conversation that we need to be having. And so here's just some questions for you to consider. Have you ever been threatened by a gun? 21% of adults in America say they have been threatened by a gun. Um, Do you have a family member who has been killed by a gun, including suicide? Um, one in five Americans answers that question with a yes. One in six Americans say that they or someone they know has been shot. That's a lot of people. 17% of the American population say they know someone who's been shot. Um, And if you say to yourself, I don't know anybody that's ever been shot. I don't know anybody that's ever been threatened by a gun. I don't have a family member that has um, been killed by a gun, including suicide. Well, you are a very blessed minority in this country. Do you have guns in your home? If so, are they secured? Do you have children in your home and have guns that are not secured? 77% of parents with guns in the home in America do not have those guns secured using what are called the most common gun safety practices. So um, 44% of people with children in their homes in America have a gun, 44%. And 77% of those people who have guns in a house where there are children, say they don't have their guns secure using the most common of gun safety practices. And so that may not be your kid living in your house, but if your kid goes to somebody else's house, um, then then a gun is potentially in play. We got to have the conversation. We've, we've got to have the conversation. Even as one pandemic is over in America, um, literally the president... Uh, made this, well, he signed it yesterday. The full statement is only one sentence. It reads this. On Monday, April the 10th, 2023, the president signed into law um, House Joint Resolution 7, which terminates the national emergency related to the COVID-19 pandemic. So that's it. No, um, uh, you know, the the national emergency related to COVID is over. Um, But other things have emerged in the time being. And since 2019, there's been a doubling 
um, a doubling of deaths among our kids with the use of firearms. And so other things are on the increase and we have to deal with them too. Dr. Brett next. Doctor, my eyes have seen the years and the slow parade of fears without crying. Dr. Brett Nix is joining us now from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. Good morning, Brett. Good morning, Carmen. How was your Easter? Did you have a wonderful time? Wonderful, wonderful Easter. He is risen. He is risen indeed. We are Easter people. It changes everything. Um, and yet you and I get up and we go to work in the real world. I know. Isn't that true? I tell you, though, the ability for us to be able to celebrate what we do on Easter uh, gives gives life a new meaning every day, doesn't it? Amen. Amen. And hope. I mean, hope literally springs eternal because of Easter. Absolutely. Okay. I want to talk about, um, I don't know, is it a biology project? Is it a chemistry project? Is it a technology project? Um, We're talking here about making human eggs from scratch. Yeah. Well, I tell you, you know, we are in this age, and if you think about science and you think about the amount of information and, and technology as it continues to snowball, we're in this era that we call precision medicine. And so, you know, specifically when we're looking at uh, the ability for people to procreate, for men and women to, to have children, you know, God created an incredible process. <clears throat> for many, though, it, it's difficult. They, they try to have children. They're unsuccessful at becoming pregnant. And so many of us are familiar with the in vitro fertilization, the IVF process that many have gone through, uh, maybe have gone through and struggled with. Recognize this is not new. And what that is, is it's when someone, a woman receives a series of hormonal injections, it kicks their ovaries into overdrive, if you will, and produces tons and tons of, of eggs that multiply at a very rapid rate. Those are then harvested and then combined with the, uh, the husband's sperm and allowed for the, the cell to start to replicate like a typical process in early pregnancy. The challenge with that is many of the eggs that are harvested are not actually in good order. So they actually won't um, begin the replication process of development or otherwise. And typically, as you know, if one is successful, it's implanted and then the hopes of pregnancy to develop from there. So what you're talking about now is, hey, because there's such a small number that actually come out that are really, really good, is there a way for us to start doing and using technology uh, to, number one, amplify that, and number two, to maybe create it on its own? And so there are several different companies that are out there that are doing different things where they are harvesting the cells and then knowing that only a small percentage, somewhere around 20, 22% of those cells will be successful from a, an IVF perspective at best. Uh, they are adding additional cells, different, less, less hormones, like the typical hormones that you might receive, but different things around them to encourage, if you will, the cell growth. And they're trying to figure out exactly what this looks like. Uh, they have these different types of cells that are called granulosa cells that are early stem cell derived. So different cells from that individual uh, can be derived to allow, uh, if you will, a increase in the likelihood of these cells being processed. Again, you can see the next step they say is, hey, is there a way then if we look at this of us to go in and make some genetic modifications in that process as well? And what is the right mix? Yeah, so there are different studies and different companies, collaborators from Harvard and Duke University and many others that are still trying to ask this question, which is, hey, if we have in vitro fertilization and if we know that giving more more hormones to to the mother uh, is not the answer to increase the likelihood of these cells being functional, is there another way? by using other types of her cells 
uh, and laying them alongside of it for the eggs to actually mature to a greater degree. Again, when you look at this, they didn't talk about the specifics related to this. They're not saying at this point in time that we're going to make them uh, you know, on their own de novo from just stem cells. But what they are finding is they are able to create from basic stem cells with specific types of um, engineering processes the ability to create very early versions of the gametocyte, the early sperm, the early egg. And so that begs the question, are we taking something and increasing the likelihood of success from the mother, or are we taking a step to the other direction now where we're saying we're just going to create it uh, so that they're available regardless? So again, you know, technology is amazing. Precision medicine is amazing. <clears throat> the question is, is, you know, where do we draw the line in the balancing act? Yes, we would love for people, for those who want to become pregnant, to be able to do so. Uh, and balancing the natural process and balancing the God-given process that's established uh, versus those that are created isolated in, in isolation in a Petri dish. And again, it gets into some ethical dilemmas and some challenges as we could all uh, go into great detail on. Uh, but again, technology is amazing. We just have to keep our eye on the direction that we're going. That's a good um, balanced approach to the conversation. Thank you, Brett. Um, when we come back, Brett's going to talk about what's on our plate and why broccoli needs to be there. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Listen to Faith Radio live or on demand no matter where you go. Download the free Faith Radio app at your app store today. I'm smelling coffee, birds are singing just outside. Here comes your mercy streaming in with the morning light. Dr. Brett Nix is here and uh, taking two things together, we should eat more broccoli and less sugar. All right. <laughs> I mean, right? That's oh, my, my takeaway. Goodness. That's my takeaway from these two articles that uh, you shared with me. You know, it's uh, it's amazing. If you think about it, I don't know about you, but uh, over Easter weekend, it's not uncommon for me to partake in perhaps some of the things that I wouldn't eat on a routine basis. Now, I'm not a Cadbury cream egg kind of guy, but if you give me some of the robin eggs out of the Whoppers or you give me some of the really sweet jelly beans, uh, I might overload on my sugar content. But however, as you stated with one of these articles, if I balance it with broccoli, perhaps there might be a value proposition there. There are some interesting studies coming out that are looking at our gut and asking the simple question, hey, we hear about these superfoods, things like broccoli, things like cauliflower, kale. And this study specifically looked at broccoli. And what they said was, we think there's something more to this superfood. Perhaps we can figure out what. And so what they did is they looked at a cohort of mice and they changed their diet to include about 15% of broccoli. And you're thinking, goodness gracious, 15% of broccoli every day. What does that really mean? It means about three and a half cups for an average person. So that's, a, that's still a pretty good amount. But what they found was that those that stayed on this diet started to have an activation process. So there's a receptor inside the lining of your bowels, inside your intestines. Uh, and it triggered that. And by triggering it, it increased the absorption of high quality nutrients, the ability for you to absorb water to a greater basis, and it decreased the level of inflammation of the bowel. In addition to that, it actually also then changed the process by which things move. It's a term we use called peristalsis, but it's the movement of the bowel. And normal bowel health is such that your, your stool and, and the nutrients that are going through should pass on a regular basis. You shouldn't have issues with obstruction. Things should not pass slowly. It should pass on a normal basis. They found that the gut health of these mice were exceptionally different than those who were not on the same diet. Why is this important to us? 
because many of us know if we've been watching the, uh, the news as well, that we've seen rates of colon cancer increasing. We see different processes of people that have inflammatory bowel disease and other types of issues. I think all of this is interrelated to the basis of our diet. And like you mentioned before, a different study we were looking at was talking simply about the content of sugar, the amount of sugar that you have on a daily basis and the impact that it has uh, on, on gut health. And this is a different study that looked at it, which is simply uh, if you had more than six teaspoons a day of sugar, it was going to negatively impact your health. What we know about that is simple sugars also cause inflammation to the gut. It actually would counteract a lot of what we're talking about with broccoli and leads to other things that we know, obesity. We know about diabetes. We know about heart disease. But people ask about six teaspoons. To give it a perspective, one can of Coca-Cola is approximately 10 teaspoons of sugar just in that Coke mm -hmm. alone. And so we have to keep in balance. And that doesn't mean that, hey, you know what? On Easter, I'm going to have a wonderful meal. Yes, there's going to be some sugar. And I'd love to have a cup of sweet tea. Maybe I would like to have a Coca-Cola. That's great. But that should be a, a once a week, maybe twice a week occurrence if you maintain an underlying healthy process. But the study that we learned the most about from the, uh, the broccoli piece is really fascinating to me because there's a lot to, set it to be said about gut health. There's a lot of people who have challenges with that. Uh, and I think it gets back to the simple basics that, you know, God created foods that grow and these foods that we eat that are, are true source, the, you, 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 they're grown, they're harvested and we eat them. There's nothing that's additional to it. There's nothing manufactured around it. Uh, they're incredibly healthy for our body. It's something that we should consume on a regular basis. And what they found in broccoli, I will not be surprised if you find it in things like cabbage and Brussels sprouts and kale and those others uh, where they have tremendous value to our health. All right. You can actually incorporate broccoli <clears throat> into every meal and into your snacking as well. And if we expand that to cau cauliflower and kale and cabbage and Brussels sprouts, then yeah, let's just, you know, let's just in improve our overall, overall health by incorporating all of these um, more and more into our diet. Um, all right. Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about um, what it takes to have a long life. Give us the, uh, the upside from prevention.com on what it takes to have a long life. So prevention looked at these patients that are out there that live over 100. We know them as uh, centurions, and so they live over 100 years. And they look specifically not only at their lifestyle, but they looked at their DNA. And again, as you can imagine, your genetics, a thing that God created, the template for who you are, uh, really defines a lot of that process, the ability for you to live this. But what they found was, hey, those that have a positive lifestyle, and what did that mean? Well, the common things that we talk about, uh, on average, they slept more than seven hours a night. Uh, on average, they got exercise with cardiovascular and as they aged, more just fluid motion, activities, stretching, those types of things. Uh, they had good diets where they ate. Uh, and they had community and they were around people. They were engaged in that process. Uh, what they ended up finding is those are the typical things that you find that will boost your immune system. Now, the challenge here is they did not find, if you will, the fountain of youth. They didn't find a specific answer to say there was something unique in every single one of them uh, as far as what we could change in our bodies. But what they did find was the balancing aspect of the things that we know for healthy living uh, those are the things that decrease stress on our daily basis, the time spent in mindfulness, spent in prayer, spent in uh, community with others. Those are all of the comp composites of what they looked at. And what they have been finding is that as they look at this, uh, in 2021, nearly double as many 
uh, as there were two decades ago, according to the data from the United Nations. So across the globe, there are more people living over 100. Now, we'll take a couple steps back. Number one, they say, well, we have better preventative medicine. Number two, we have things like antibiotics that we didn't have uh, to the degree that we have now uh, many, many years ago, you know, and we look, especially when we look more than 10, 20, 30 years back. Uh, but the balance asset aspect of this is number one, to maintain high quality immunity, which seems to be the primary driver, uh, you have to maintain healthy lifestyles. And again, people think to themselves, well, that's a pretty easy thing to do. Uh, but when we look at it on a daily basis, it's actually something that can be very complex for many of us, um, especially as we try to look at our cognitive function, as we look at our body function. And the bottom line, again, is, is also a little bit of an asset when God has given you a great set of DNA to allow you to live long. They did make a comment that if you look at the family members that are around you, especially that are those that are older than you, if you have some in your families that have lived into their 80s, into their 90s, uh, ask them specifically what they perceive the, uh, the balance of that to be associated with, and then ask them about the healthy lifestyle choices that they have made. And what you'll find is there's a pretty high composite of those uh, that will align well with the study. Simple things, eat well, sleep well, exercise, be in community, find time for your spiritual health, your mental health, your physical health. Um, and then again, the balancing act of that is, is, is the basis of your genetic code that God gave you. So good. So good. Brett, as always, thank you so much for joining us. That's Dr. Brett Nix. You can uh, connect with Brett. Remind me of your website, Brett. I don't have it in front of me. Yeah, it's brettnixmd.com. BrettNixMD.com. You can also find him at the Christian Medical and Dental Association. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Do you feel like you always say the right thing? Do you know sometimes you say the wrong thing? Are you definitely tempted to say things online or on social media that you would absolutely never say face-to-face? Um, I can actually attest to the fact that there are at least some who are willing to say things on the text line or in emails that I'm pretty sure if we were face-to-face over an actual cup of coffee in my kitchen— you wouldn't say to me. So we're going to talk with Carolyn Lacey, author of Say the Right Thing, about how our words can glorify God and encourage others. Are we using the power of our words to build people up or to burn it all down? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Carolyn Lacey is an, a writer. She's a speaker. She's a pastor's wife. She serves in her local congregation. She teaches the Bible. Um, and she's talking to us today about how we are speaking to and with one another. The book is Say the Right Thing, How Your Words Can Glorify God and Encourage Others. Carolyn, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Hi, thanks for having me on. So what's the problem that you are seeking to address? My guess is as a pastor's wife and as a Christian woman in the world, you have heard and and witnessed people saying the wrong thing. Yeah, I have loads and I've 
I do it myself. I've been very aware of all the times when I've I've chimed in without stopping to think and I've caused pain or offence with my words or, you know, I've walked away from a conversation with someone feeling that I, I just didn't have anything to say and wouldn't it have been nice to have been able to encourage them or build them up in some way. When, um, I mean, I'm thinking about, I mean, as you as you reflect on this and you're like, hey, it's not just something I witnessed, it's something I experienced. Mm-hmm. Like that was, that caught up like right with me. Like I was like, oh yes, mm-hmm. this is not just about what I'm observing and overhearing other people say, this is about me. So why, why do we do that? Why do we say things online, on social media, and sometimes in person that we really know we know better, and yet we do it anyway. Yeah, I don't know. I've been thinking about this a lot because we all do this. I mean, I think online or with social media, part of the issue is that we we forget there's a face behind the screen. You know, we forget that there is a real person with, with deep feelings um, behind the words that we see. And so it's particularly easy, I think, on social media or online interactions just to to vent, to say whatever we want to say, to correct or to, you know, just to respond ungraciously because we we genuinely forget there is a person behind the screen who is made in the image of God, who has dignity, who has value and who we are called to treat with compassion and kindness. So I think that's what's going on a little bit online. But, but I think we do that in person. I mean, I don't know about you, Carmen, but often I start my days and I, I go about my business and I feel I forget to pray, Lord, mm. as I go about my business today, in every interaction, I have an opportunity to represent you and to communicate truth about you. Will you help me do that? Um, often it's only once I've got something wrong that I start to, you know, I start to be aware of that. I, I, I just wonder if we're not very intentional um, in thinking about how our words can impact people. Um, they can impact people for good as well as for harm, but it's it's often only when our words have caused harm or when somebody has hurt us with their words that we really stop to think in a bit more detail um, about what what power the tongue has. If you are um, hearing Carolyn right now and you're like, oh, that is me, and this is what I need help with. I want to know what the Bible says about the power of my words. I want to know how the gospel can shape the way I speak We are giving away copies of Say the Right Thing, How Your Words Can Glorify God and Encourage Others. So just text the word BOOK to 877-933-2484. Again, you text the word BOOK to 877-933-2484 to enter the drawing for the copies of Say the Right Thing that we have to give away today from our friends over at the Good Book Company. Carolyn, let's... um, um, Let's let's talk about what the Bible says about the power of our words. You alluded to it there at the end um, of your of your last comment, um, you know, about the power of my tongue. Talk with us about the power of our words and what the Bible has to say. Mm-hmm. Well, the Bible has so much to say about our words and so much to say about the tongue. And, and actually, a lot of it is really positive. You know, uh, the Proverbs talk about how saying a word at the right time it's it's precious to people um it says the tongue that heals is a tree of life and the tongue has power for healing so there's a lot of positive talk in the bible about 
the good that our words can do. But of course, there are warnings as well. And um, James, particularly in his letter, um, cautions us to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. And, you know, he talks about the tongue being wild, you know, um, like a like a spark that sets a whole forest on fire and and just the potential there is to do harm. And so so the Bible has a lot to say positively and negatively. Um, and I, I think for, for me growing up, I heard a lot about what we shouldn't do with our words. You know, I, was, I, I grew up in the church and I heard a lot about don't lie, don't swear, um, don't gossip, you know, don't talk back to people. But actually, I, d I don't think I was taught about all the good that the Bible says we can do with our words. You know, the, the good we do by speaking the truth, by speaking words of comfort and encouragement and hope to people and so actually there's a there's a wonderfully positive vision in the bible of the good that we can do to others with our words and and how we can actually glorify god with our everyday speech and i mean i think a lot of people think oh you know pastors bible teachers radio hosts you know you guys are all in a a, a position to do a lot of good with your words but Actually, we all are every day in all the interactions we have, whether they're in person or whether they're online. If we, you know, if we'll just stop to to think about it for a moment. That stopping to think about it for a moment. I want to settle in there um, mm -hmm. because you and I and everyone else, we actually do choose our words. And the question mm -hmm. is whether or not we are choosing our words to glorify God and encourage others, or whether we are choosing words that we actually do know will have the opposite effect. Can you talk about how the gospel shapes not just the way we speak, but shapes the way we choose what we say? Hmm. Yeah, and I think that's really key because at the end of the day, I mean, Jesus says that it's out of the overflow of our hearts that we speak. Um, and so actually what we need is the gospel to change our hearts so that we are much more consumed with God's kingdom than our own, that we, that we are much more filled with love for him and for others than we are with ourselves. And I think that makes all the difference with choosing our words. You know, if I go about my day and my focus is, is all on myself, what I want to happen, what I want to achieve, um, what I want people to do for me then my conversations are going to reflect that. Um, but if my, if my heart is full of wonder at what Jesus has done for me, um, if my desire is to share that with others, um, that's going to impact my speech. Um, if, I'm, if I'm humbled by the way that God has shown mercy to me, then, then that means I'm going to approach others with more humility and grace. And so I think... You know, f filling our hearts, reminding our hearts of the gospel every day, um, intentionally practicing gratitude to God and, and really seeking him to transform our hearts. That is what is actually going to make the biggest difference to our speech. Um, we can't just learn tips and tricks um, for mm. saying the right things in different situations. I mean, there are things we can practice. You know, you can have some Bible verses up your sleeve that that may be a helpful in conversation and I don't think it's wrong to do that but at the end of the day it's not really about 
um, a quick fix of our tongues. It's about letting the gospel transform our hearts and our minds so that everything we say, whether our verbal words or the things we write, so that all of that flows out of a heart that is is consumed with love for God and neighbour. I think that's really what's going to make the difference to our speech and our, our everyday interactions with others. So I want to be a person who asks good questions and assumes um, little, like like I want to assume that I know little. And so <clears throat> because we have a person on the text line right now who's saying, where is Carolyn from? Not just what country, which, by the way, is the U.K., but where is she from? She reminds me of someone from Manchester, England. Um, but I actually know you're not you're not living in Manchester, but I don't want to mispronounce where you are from. So can you tell us where you're coming to us from today? Yeah, so I'm in Worcester. So see, I, think I knew see, say, I knew I was going to say it wrong because it doesn't look like Worcester. It doesn't it look like, like Worcester. Worcester. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's, mm-hmm. it's Worcester. So I was brought up in London, actually. But yeah, I've lived in Worcester, which is right in the middle of England. Um, it's a wonderful place to live. Is it a town? Is it a city? Do you live in the country? Describe describe your world. Okay, so by UK standards, so it's called a city um, because we define a city as a a place that has got a cathedral. And actually, Worcester has got one of the oldest cathedrals in the country. Um, but by American standards, it's very small. Um, so you can cross the city of Worcester in about 15 minutes in the car. Um, and you can get out into the countryside in about five, 10 minutes. And it's it's a really wonderful place to live. And the thing I really like most about it is it's really friendly. Um, Mm. So growing up in London, that wasn't my experience. You know, if you go on the tube in London, everybody puts their earbuds in and is just a little bit in their their own world. And you don't necessarily talk to people in the same way. But we know loads of people in our community, dog walkers, people who are just using the same pathways and cycle tracks every day. And it's just a really friendly place to live. I feel really grateful to be here. Well, we're grateful to um, be talking with you today. We're going to continue our conversation with Carolyn Lacey here in just a moment. The book is Say the Right Thing, How Your Words Can Glorify God and Encourage Others. We're giving away copies today. You can enter that drawing by texting the word book to 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Be strong in the Lord and never give up hope. You're going to do great things. I already know. Continuing our conversation with Carolyn Lacey, we're talking about her book, Say the Right Thing. How Your Words Can Glorify God and Encourage Others. I encourage you to 
text the word GIVE to 877-933-2484 if you want to know what the Bible says about the power of your words and how the gospel can shape the way you speak. We'd love to send you a copy of the book today. Carolyn, let's, um, I don't know, maybe let's explore, like, are there, like, questions you ask yourself before you speak? Like, mm-hmm. you know, like, hit the pause button, and are there questions that you use to evaluate when to speak and what to say? Yeah, so I've I've been trying to do that over the last few years. Um, I think firstly, I mean, you mentioned it before the break. Have I really listened carefully to what this person is saying? Do do I understand what they're saying or do I need to ask them for a few more details? Because it's very easy to to assume that we know what somebody needs from us in conversation. Um, I, I try and ask myself whether I'm being asked my opinion or whether I'm being asked for advice or whether I'm just being asked to listen and to show um, yeah, a compassionate heart towards somebody. Again, it's very easy to chime in with advice that we that we want to give, but so often we can be more concerned about what we want to say rather than what somebody needs from us. So I try and just ascertain whether I'm actually being asked for my opinion. And then I try and ask whether I am honestly the right person to speak into a situation, particularly, you know, if it's a if it's about something that's going on in current affairs or a problem or a challenge, you know, somebody has, am I the right person? Do I have the necessary experience or wisdom or insight or or is it my place to listen and support and pray and then maybe direct to someone else? I'm just trying to learn not to think that I have to be the person to speak into everything. Um, but then I think in situations where where I am being asked my opinion or if it's a Christian friend who is who's sharing a problem, you know, I'm trying to just hold back from sharing my experiences and and try and ask, you know, is there something in God's word here that would offer some comfort, some encouragement, some hope to somebody who is struggling? Um, so there, there are a few questions that I that I try and ask. I mean, ultimately, the big question I think we all want to be asking it is my words, the words that I'm about to say, are they actually going to be helpful or could they potentially be harmful? And I think that would be a good, you know, a good first question to ask as well. Mm. I um, I have a couple of questions that I intentionally like run through the filter of my mind. What does God know that I don't know about this person in this situation? Because I feel like that gets sort of me out of the center of it. Um, and, and that sort of leads me to the, okay, um, and you allude to this, like if, if I am the person that God has right here, like if this is a divine appointment and God has me right here, right now with this person in this situation at this moment, and he wants me to say something, is there something, um, about the character and the will of God? Is there something in God's word, as you have said? that God actually wants me to bring forward. Like, God's not in this conversation because I'm standing here silently. Um, So can you encourage the person who knows they should speak up, but is sometimes reluctant to do so? Yeah, and often it's it's because we're afraid. We're afraid Mm. of either getting it wrong or saying something that won't be helpful, or we're afraid of how people might react to us, perhaps especially if we're speaking with an unbelieving friend or neighbor. But um, I mean, my encouragement in that context would be from 1 Peter 3, you know, we're always 
to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have. And I think there are there are gentle, non-threatening ways that we can do that. Um, I think, you know, Paul encourages us to think about whatever is true and noble and right and pure and lovely. And and we can speak, speak about those things, too, you know, can just gently say, look, I don't I don't pretend to know exactly what you're going through, but um, this is something that I know about Jesus that helps me or encourages me. Um, I'd love to share that with you. Would that be okay? So I think I think if we're feeling fearful, we can we can kind of test the waters a little bit. I mean, I think the harder situation is when we feel compelled to confront wrong, um, whether it's injustice or mistreatment of people, whether it's um, in a small private situation or big. And I think, you know, Christians, we, we are called to be truth tellers. We are called to speak out on behalf of those who can't speak for themselves. But again, we're, we're called to do so in a, in a manner of love, in a manner worthy of the gospel. Um, and so we want to exercise caution. There's this kind of balance, isn't there, between being being courageous, but also being cautious and and being dependent on the Lord, not um, not having a an arrogant or presumptuous heart, but um, just seeking to humbly share um, what we know to be true. And I do think in those situations, we we really do have the opportunity to make a big difference if we speak with humility. And often that's what's missing. I mean, particularly in mm. online spaces, you know, I think on social media, people are so quick to react harshly to to believe the worst about people um, rather than to trust the best. And I think even just um, being willing to speak, but to, to do so with a humble confidence, I think can really um, impact our conversations for good, you know, to, to not set ourselves up as being superior, either in character or in knowledge, but just with having a heart to want to treat people with with dignity and respect and to say what we know to be true, I think that could make a really big difference. Hmm. It's just delightful. It's wonderful to uh, meet you today. I'm thankful to the Lord um, to, to know you and uh, to have had the opportunity to have this conversation. Carolyn Lacey, author of Say the Right Thing, how your words can glorify God and encourage others, what the Bible says about the power of our words and how the gospel can shape the way we speak. If you want to enter the drawing for the copies we have to give away today, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Carolyn, thank you so much. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been an honor to speak to you. Likewise, likewise. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. All right, there's like 8 billion people alive in the world today, and 3 billion of them are Christian believers. So God's got a lot of really good people out there. God's got people out there. And I say really good. It's not that we're good on our own merit. Um, We're good because we're God's. We belong to God in Jesus Christ. So um, don't just be good today. Like, look for others. Mm -hmm. to share the good news of the gospel with. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.